Good morning. Brother Jim and I were talking this morning about evangelism, revivals, what we are to do in this world, frustration when the world doesn't even respond, making ourselves prepared to do that even. Maybe we're not prepared when we go out. Maybe we're not in the Word enough. Maybe we're not in the closet enough to get a response. Or maybe it's not up to us to have a response. It is not. We are to go. We are on the battlefield. You may be on the front line or you may be burying your head in a foxhole. That's what I tend to do way too much. But the reason for that is fear. Fear in knowing that I have not prepared myself. I've not abided in Christ. I've not been in the closet enough. Not been in his word near enough. So when we get frustrated with the world over overtaking us and we, we get all wrapped up in the glitter of chasing after these worldly things, should we be surprised? <laughs> no. Should we be angry with God because we're not getting what we want from him in a personal relationship? No. He stands waiting, ready, willing. We're the ones who fall short. So I was just going to read a little bit about what Spurgeon has to say about that, the personal relationship with God and how it pertains to the world. And the uh, verse is Song of Solomon 5.1. And the title is, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. And that's the verse. The heart of the believer is Christ's garden. He bought it with his precious blood, and he enters it and claims it as his own. A garden implies separation. It is not in the open field. It is not out in the wilderness. It is walled around or hedged in. If only we could see the wall of separation between the church and the world made broader and stronger. So many times we want a piece of that world and we allow it to intermingle just like a a jigsaw puzzle, and we let it, instead of the separation, we're trying to live in the world and let God lead our lives too. It doesn't work very well. And then you hear the Christian saying, well, there is no harm in this, there is no harm in that. And by this approach, getting as near to the world as possible, having our cake and eating it too. It doesn't work with the Lord. It doesn't work very well in personal relationships either, does it? He wants us all. Grace is at an ebb and flow in the soul that is always inquiring about how far it may go in worldly conformity. Anybody guilty of that? I know I am. A garden is a place of beauty. It far surpasses the wild, uncultivated lands. The genuine Christian must seek to be more excellent in his life than the best moralist because Christ's garden ought to produce the best flowers in the world. Even the best is poor compared with what Christ deserves. Let us not disappoint him with withering and feeble plants. The rarest, richest, choicest lilies and roses ought to be bloomed, ought to bloom to the place where Jesus calls it his own. The garden is a place of growth. 
The believer must not remain undeveloped, just mere buds or blossoms. We should grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growth should be rapid where Jesus is the gardener and the Holy Spirit the dew from heaven. A garden is a place of retirement, so the Lord Jesus would have us reserve our souls as a place in which he can show himself in a way that he does not to the world. As Christians, we should be far keener to keep our hearts closely shut up for Christ. We often worry and trouble ourselves like Martha with much serving, and like her do not have the room for Christ that Mary had. And we do not sit at the feet that we ought. May the Lord grant the sweet showers of his grace to water his garden today. So may we do that. May we set ourselves aside. May we, may we be the aliens that the Bible says we will be if we're in Christ. May we be willing to sacrifice the worldly things. I want to say a little prayer today about the uh, the fathers in our congregation, and I, I see some good urns. Many are at a state of fatherhood that is close to over, many that aren't present for that very reason that I want to say is, is they're just starting a long, hard journey. And uh, there are many of us who are not fathers, but we want to be good examples of how a good father should live and be, be there for everybody. So I just wanted to lift up the fathers today through prayer and uh, hopefully give some others something to think about and the appreciation we should have for them. So dear Lord, we lift up all the fathers today, a special day of remembrance for them, the many things they do for us, Those of us who are younger don't even know to the extent and energy level and devotion and service that they're doing for us now, but one day, you youngsters, you will. So I pray for them, Lord, for the strength to continue as good fathers and husbands. Let them be all they should be according to your will, Lord, and according to your word, and that doesn't mean perfection, Lord. Let us not hold their feet to the fire for earthly or even biblical perfection, Lord, but let us be forgiving towards them as they have forgiven us. We know the love they have for their children, Lord, because when they fail, they repent, get up, go on, and, and continue to be strong. They're protectors. Lord, we thank you for their protection on the households. They're lovers of the Bibles, and they are the priests of the household. Lord, we thank you that they set an example in attempting to try to bring their children up as best they can. So we give them over to you today, Lord, and we ask that the Holy Spirit emboldens them to get stronger and to follow your word and to raise their children according to your word, Lord. We ask for their strength and we We pray for their health. We pray for their energy because, Lord, you know, you know how hard it is. Give them the strength to go on, Lord. 
Make that strength come from the love of the Spirit in their heart and the love for their children, Lord. We just lift them up to you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.